Get the young ones in your life on an unforgettable journey that will get them excited about the Word of God with the Airship Genesis Kids Study Bible. Then continue the adventure with monthly audio adventures on airshipgenesis.com. Plus, download the Airship Genesis mobile game where kids will travel back in time to the life of Jesus. Blast off with the young one in your life at airshipgenesis.com. Faith is one of those words that has been so misused and overused through the centuries that it has lost most of its meaning. Can you define faith? Today on Turning Point, Dr. David Jeremiah turns to the Bible's definitive chapter for understanding faith, Hebrews 11, where the true meaning of faith is beautifully revealed. Listen now as David introduces today's powerful message, What is Faith? Well, thank you for joining us for this edition of Turning Point. We're answering some questions people are asking. And one of the questions that we hear periodically is about the nature of faith. What does it mean to have faith? And um, it's a very misunderstood concept, and that's pretty tragic because without an understanding of faith, you can't be a Christian. If, if you don't know how faith works, you can't exercise it. Well, you may exercise it out of ignorance, but you're still exercising faith. And faith is defined in the Scripture. We're going to talk about it in a few moments. And uh, before we do that, let me tell you about this book that contains all the information on this question and all 10 of the questions. It's a book called 10 Questions That Christians Are Asking. It's available only from Turning Point. It's not in the bookstores. You can't get it anyplace else. And the book is uh, is prepared for small groups in this way. At the end of every chapter, there's a mini um, study guide. It's not as robust as the ones we send out normally, but it's enough to get you going. And I promise you, all of these questions will provoke discussion. If you've ever been in a small group and the problem is when you get done talking about the lesson, nobody wants to discuss it, you will not have that problem with this lesson. In fact, you will have a hard time getting your teaching in because everybody will want to discuss this before you even talk about it. So here's a great opportunity for you to plan your curriculum for the next section of your small groups or your Sunday school class. You can get these books uh, from Turning Point in quantity, but we'll send you the first one for a gift of any size to Turning Point during the month of May. Please help us by joining us in getting the gospel out. Never has there ever been a more important time for us to be teaching the scripture than right now. Your help is invaluable. We can't do this without you, so thank you. And be sure, when you send your gift, to ask for your copy of the book, Questions Christians Are Asking. Now, here's one of those questions. What is faith? Open your Bibles to the 11th chapter of the book of Hebrews. Hebrews chapter 11, and I'd like you to read with me the first three verses and verse 6 in that order. Now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. For by it the elders obtained a good testimony. By faith we understand that the worlds were framed, word of God, so that the things which are seen were not made of things which are visible. But without faith it is impossible to please him. For he who comes to God must believe that he is, and that he is a rewarder of those who diligently seek him. There is an old story about a man who was 
trying to fix his television antenna in the days when such things existed. And he was on a slanted slate roof trying desperately to get the antenna rotated in the right direction so that he would be able to watch the football game that was going to be on a bit later that afternoon. In his hurry, he lost his grip on the chimney and began to slide down the roof of his house. Finally, slipping over the edge of the roof, he caught himself by the ends of his fingers on the eaves trough, and he was dangling there three stories above the ground. In his desperation, he looked down and began to cry out, Can anybody down there help me? And there was no answer. Finally, in one last act of desperation, he looked up and yelled, Can anyone up there help me? And out of the heavens came its deep, resonant voice, Believe and let go. (laughs) After a moment of thought, the frightened man cried out, Is there anybody else up there who can help me? (laughs) I love that story because it illustrates the fact that most people are willing to try anything except faith. (laughs) And if you hang around religious people very long, you discover that the word faith is bandied about quite often. We call our religion our faith. (laughs) We talk of being saved by faith. One of the evidences of the spirit-filled life is faith. At the end of the 10th chapter of the book of Hebrews, we are told that the just shall live by faith. But what do we mean when we talk about faith? Are we talking about some superstitious thing, believing something in spite of the evidence, or believing three impossible things before breakfast? Are we talking about everyday faith, trusting the pilot who flies your airplane or believing in the man who does your taxes? Or are we talking about mental ascent faith, that kind of faith where you believe something or some system of facts, you accept them as true, and because you accept them as true, you say, I have faith. But the Bible says that even the demons believe in God and they tremble. So that can't be the kind of faith we're talking about. Did you know that the devil and the demons have faith? They actually have faith. James 2.19 says, you believe there is one God, you do well. Even the demons believe that and they tremble. (laughs) It is quite evident that the word faith in our culture has fallen on hard times. The meaning of it in the post-Christian world has sort of morphed into something Nobody knows for sure what it means. Evangelist Ronald Dunn has said some words are like drapes that have faded from long exposure to the sun. Frequent use has drained the color from their meaning until they are no longer recognizable. And such words need from time to time to be reexamined to ensure that their use is consistent with their meaning. And faith is a word that is dangerously close to fading. Paul Tillich suggested that the word faith itself must be healed before it can be used to heal people. So what is faith? If I had to 
select a passage of scripture and say, if you go to that passage, you will learn about faith. That's the passage we're going to look at. Verse 1 begins with a description of faith. It says, now faith is the substance of things hoped for, the evidence of things not seen. This description of faith is incredibly accurate. By the way, the word faith appears 32 times in the book of Hebrews, 24 of them here in the 11th chapter of the book, where we have the best definition of faith found in the Bible. We learn, first of all, that faith is the realization of things hoped for. The word translated by the word substance is translated best by the word assurance or realization. Literally, the writer is saying, now faith is the realization of things hoped for. Faith says that what God has promised will happen, and it's so certain that it's almost as if it has already happened. Faith treats things that are hoped for as a reality. The future is made real for men of faith and women of faith. So then faith is not ambiguous. It is not unsure. It is a concrete conviction. It is the present-day confidence of a future reality. Faith is the solid, unshakable confidence in God which is built upon the assurance that he is faithful to his promises. For the unbeliever, seeing is believing. For the believer, believing is seeing. Faith enables the believer to treat the future as present and the invisible as visible. Now, I've told you theologically what faith is, but some of you still have a blank look on your face. So let me tell you practically what faith is. Faith is like a sixth sense that God gives to us. It's his gift. Faith is a gift from God. It enables us to take a firm hold upon the unseen world and bring it into the realm of our experience. Did you know that all of your senses do just that? There are five senses, as you know. There is seeing and hearing and tasting and smelling and touching. Those are the five senses. With the possible exception of touching, all of the first four senses work just like faith. Let me explain. Out there in the unseen world is what we call light. Light is there, but the only way you can see it is through the sense of your eyes, which God has given you. He has given you an instrument that enables you to see the unseen light. Without your eyes, light does not exist. Out there in the unseen world are sound waves. Those waves are there whether you hear them or not, but God has given you two ears, instruments, so that you can hear those sound waves. And your ears bring those sound waves into your experience and they become part of you. Out there in the unseen world are aromas that are just there. Whether you sense them or smell them or not, they are there. But God has given you your nose. So that through this nose, this instrument, you can bring those aromas into your experience and they become a part of your being. 
out there in the unseen world are these scrumptious, unbelievable tastes. God has given you this incredible instrument called taste that brings those beautiful sensations into your being and they become a part of you. Are you getting the picture here? All of these things are unseen things. But God gives you something to take that which is unseen and make it a part of reality in your life. And that's what faith does for you in the spiritual realm. Out in the spiritual realm are the promises of God. Out in the spiritual realm is the reality of God. Out in the spiritual realm is the history of Jesus Christ and his death upon the cross. And God has given to you and he gives to you at a moment of your conversion. He gives you the gift of faith that enables you to take that which you cannot see. And it becomes a part of who you are. Faith is the realization the actuality of things hoped for. But the second statement's even stronger. Faith is the reality of things not seen, Hebrews 11.1. 1. The evidence of things not seen. The conviction of things that aren't seen, but faith gives you the ability to accept them and believe them and acknowledge that they are true. And First Peter 1, 8 and 9 is the classic text. Listen. Whom having not seen, you love. (laughs) Though now you do not see him, yet believing, you rejoice with joy inexpressible and full of glory, receiving the end of your faith, the salvation of your souls. You say, I know God, but you can't see God. I know Jesus, but he's not here anymore physically. I believe in the Holy Spirit, but he lives within you. How do you know and see and believe all these things? You know and you see and believe because God has given you the instrument of faith as his gift. And by faith, you see the unseen God. You know the unknown Jesus and you sense the reality of the unseen spirit. Faith is not lacking in reality faith is more real than you're seeing and you're hearing and you're smelling and you're tasting and you're touching faith is far more real than any of the senses god has given you faith is not just the sixth sense it's the supreme sense people of faith like katie davis are prepared to live out their life believing god Their lives reflect a commitment that's unbelievable to people who don't know Jesus. They are so sure of the promises and so sure of the blessings that they behave as those promises had already been realized. When Katie Davis was 18 years old, she went to be a teacher of kindergarten children in Uganda against her parents' will. They wanted her to go to college, and she said, I'm going to take a year off and go serve Jesus in Uganda. And while she was there... God spoke to her and told her, I want you to stay here. She adopted 13 Ugandan children. She's now their mother. She raises, did you know this, $70,000 a month to keep those children and that orphanage going. Her faith has become so real to her that when she comes home and sees all the things that are used to prop us up in our faith, it's a step backwards. 
she's come to understand that she has no resource but God. But God has become so real to her that coming back here is a very uncomfortable experience for her. Because back here, there's so many other things to depend on. In Uganda, there's no one but God. But God is so real to her, it's incredible. That's what faith is. Faith is the ability God gives us to take the unseen and make those things real, make those things seen in our lives. And faith does this in spite of all the obstacles. If you read Hebrews 11, which is the hall of fame of faith, every single one of the 27 or so people whose names are written in the 11th chapter of Hebrews all have one thing in common. They surmounted obstacles that were unbelievable. Think of Sarah, who bore a child after the age of childbearing. Over the age of 90, she had a baby. I would say that was a pretty unusual experience. Let's hope so, right? (laughs) Now, how does faith work? Well, let me explain to you. Let me just do a little postmortem on faith, a little autopsy on it, if I will. I hope your faith is not dead, but let me just do this faith thing. How does it work? First, Faith begins with perception. It's impossible to have saving faith unless your mind embraces the content of truth. You don't just get faith by putting your Bible under your pillow at night. You don't get faith in some emotional experience. Faith starts with truth. When any new fact enters your mind, watch this, it proceeds to make itself at home. It has to introduce itself to the other things that live in your mind. And that new entry into the denizens of your mind begins to interact with what already lives there. And that faith becomes understandable because learning is simply taking what you don't know and relating it to what you do know and bringing it into the realm of what you know. You can't learn if you don't have something to compare it to. So God allows you to hear truth, and that truth comes into your mind, and that truth begins to interact with what you already know. Do you know what that's called? That's called thinking. And believe it or not, Christians think. You become a Christian, first of all, by thinking, by hearing some truth, by understanding. That's why you preach the gospel, why you preach the word of God. And the word of God then gets into the mind of a person, and it begins to interact with what's already there. And that thinking process is called perception. But perception cannot be faith. Just knowing something isn't faith. You have to add to that the second piece of the action, which is persuasion. The first has to do with your mind. The second has to do with your emotion. You become emotionally attached to that truth. You begin to think about it. It begins to play upon your heart. You begin to turn it over in your mind. It becomes a part of your emotional makeup. And it's all based upon the truth of what has entered your thinking process. Over the years, when I first started in ministry, I used to be involved in teaching the evangelism course in our church. And I taught it for many years, and we had an incredible evangelism program. And we based it upon Evangelism Explosion, which was James Kennedy's outline of presenting the gospel. When you go out every week, as I did, in fact, for a period of time in my life, I had appointments every single night of the week and some on Saturday. All I did was go and talk to people about Jesus Christ. That's how that church grew in Fort Wayne before I came here. Sooner or later, if you do that enough, you're going to find that people ask questions, and there are a lot of the questions that become very similar. And one of the questions people asked was about faith. 
You would say to them, do you have faith? Oh, yes, faith. I believe. I really believe. What do you have faith in? Well, I just have faith in faith. And that's really true. They believe that faith itself was the object. To have some cerebral thought process they called faith, that was faith. So I read the story someplace, and I used to ask them this question. If you were to go ice fishing, would you rather have a tiny little bit of faith on four feet of ice, or would you rather have a whole bunch of faith on two inches of ice? Everybody went, hmm. The vast majority of people said they would rather have a whole bunch of faith on two inches of ice. And beside making a note never to go ice fishing with those people, (laughs) I tried to help them understand that it is not how much faith you have, it's what is the object of your faith? How worthy is the object of your faith? That's the whole issue. You can have tons of faith, but if the object of your faith is not worthy of your faith, your faith is inconsequential. It's not about how much faith you have. It's about how much Jesus you know. So if you're trying to build your faith, don't sit around trying to womp it up. Get in the Bible and learn about Jesus, and the more you learn about him, the thicker your ice will become. And it won't take much to believe in him if you know who he is because his record is so clear and so clean You'll get emotionally involved with him. First of all, there's perception, then there's persuasion, but finally there has to be a performance. You say, do you believe that you have to do a work in order to be saved? Absolutely not. But you have to respond to faith. You have to let your will get involved. Saving faith is the whole of my being, embracing the whole of who Christ is. My mind, my emotion, my will. And here's where some people get lost when faith is involved. I read a story about a philosopher and a scientist and a simple man, none of whom could swim. They were trapped in a cave with sheer cliff faces. They split up, but the tide kept coming in, and rescuers lowered a rope with a safety harness. And the philosopher said, Ah, this looks like a rope, but I might be mistaken. It could be wishful thinking, it could be an illusion. So he didn't attach himself, and he drowned. The scientist said, Ah, this is an 11-millimeter polyester rope with breaking strain of 28,000 kilograms. It conforms to the MR-1081 standard, and then proceeded to give an exhaustive and entirely correct analysis of the rope's physical and chemical properties. But he didn't attach himself, and he drowned. The simple man said, I'm not sure if this is a rope or a python tail, but it's my only hope, and I'm grabbing on with all my heart, and it's going to save me, and he was saved. Real faith doesn't bypass the mind, doesn't bypass the emotion, but neither does it bypass the will. Real faith says, I will. Real faith says, I do. Real faith says, I believe it. I accept it. I receive it. And if you haven't come all the way through the process, you don't have real faith. You know, so many people think that faith is the objective. You ask them if they're Christians, oh yeah, I have faith. Well, what's your faith in? Who's your faith in? It's not the subject of your faith that matters. It's the object of your faith. Who is the object of your faith? In whom? 
do you place your faith? If it's not in Jesus Christ, totally, unconditionally, without reservation, then you cannot be a Christian because the Bible says we must come and believe in him, place our faith in him. And when you believe, you act. When you believe, you receive. And, um, you know, there are a lot of people that are in our churches that think they're Christians because they, they believe in God and they believe in faith. But if you've never made the transaction to receive Jesus Christ— by means of faith, by trusting in him alone for eternal life, then you can't be a Christian. I don't care what church you go to or what choir you sing in or what board you serve on. You cannot be a Christian if you have not received Jesus Christ. The Bible says that when we stand before the Lord someday, people are going to come and say to him, Lord, haven't we done wonderful works in your behalf? Haven't we healed the sick and all that? And Jesus is going to look at them and say, depart from me. I never knew you. You can't get to heaven without knowing Christ personally. So I hope you'll put your trust in him today. And you can do that by simply bowing your head, bowing your heart mostly, and uh, in the quiet voice of your inward person, ask the Lord Jesus Christ to come and live within you. Confess that you're a sinner. Ask God to forgive you for your sin. Tell him you're sorry for your sin. Repent of your sin. And then give him your life. All of it, everything about it. He'll come and change you from the inside out. You have no idea the excitement you're in for. See you tomorrow. For more information on Dr. Jeremiah's series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, please visit our website where you'll also find two free ways to help you stay connected. Our monthly magazine, Turning Points, and our daily email devotional. Sign up today at davidjeremiah.ca slash radio. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash radio or call us at 800-946-4300. When you do, ask for your copy of David's hardcover book, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, and learn to live with greater confidence. It's yours for a gift of any amount. You can also download the free Turning Point mobile app for your favorite smart devices, or search in your app store for the keywords Turning Point Ministries for instant access to our programs and resources. Get all the details when you visit our website, davidjeremiah.org slash radio. This is David Michael Jeremiah. Join us tomorrow as we continue the series, 10 Questions Christians Are Asking, here on Turning Point. If you've enjoyed today's program with Dr. David Jeremiah, you might be interested in hearing it again at your convenience. Stay connected to Turning Point by visiting our website at davidjeremiah.ca or by downloading our free Canadian mobile app. The app can be found by searching for Turning Point Canada on your smart device app store. Create an account and order digital resources from today's program with easy one-click checkout at davidjeremiah.ca. Turning Point presents the Jeremiah Study Bible, drawing on more than 40 years of study by Dr. David Jeremiah. Take your personal Bible study deeper with unique introductions to each book of the Bible. 55 full-page articles exploring the essential themes of the Christian life. 8,000 study notes with insightful and practical content, an extensive cross-reference system, and helpful sidebars that extend to topics beyond the study notes. You can also take advantage of online resources available to you at jeremiahstudybible.com. Great for individual or small group studies, this Bible is available in the New King James and New International versions in standard or large print, as well as the English Standard Version in standard print, 
with several cover options. For more information or to order your copy, go to davidjeremiah.ca slash JSB. That's davidjeremiah.ca slash JSB. Have you ever wondered what your legacy will be? The Jeremiah Legacy Society from Turning Point was created for friends of the ministry who feel called to partner with Dr. David Jeremiah to deliver the unchanging Word of God to future generations. We can ensure that the impact we have reaches beyond our days here on earth. Visit our website at davidjeremiahgift.org to learn more about how you can be a part of the Jeremiah Legacy Society.